0: Welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at Pub Quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. I am beyond excited today. Ugh. What's the adjective for beyond excited? Um, mm, uh, superlatively excited. Okay, great. <laughs> we have a special guest with us today. We do. Joining us via Skype, we have Katie Sikelski. Coming to us all the way from...
1: Kent, Ohio! Yes! Yeah! (laughs) Yeah. Woo! Hello!
2: Home of Kent State, correct?
1: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, uh, as you'll soon learn, uh, only live in towns most known for horrible disasters. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Funny you should say that. You are
2: going to be providing us with a lot of information today um, about a, a certain disaster would you like to tell us a little bit more about that?
1: I can. I'm here to talk about the Great Johnstown Flood of 1889. Whew. Oh.
2: I know like a teeny bit about it. I had never heard of this before until oh Katie my emailed
1: gosh. us. Okay. Really? Yes, you honestly. did not grow up in Western Pennsylvania. <laughs> no, <laughs>
3: I did not. No,
2: know.
0: I not. <laughs> spend many a weekend at the Johnstown Flood Museum. There's a museum?
2: Oh, oh yes.
1: Oh, my God. I can't wait. We're going to learn about the museum here, too. Okay, (laughs) All right. So are you two ready to get really mad at some old-timey rich dudes? Yes. Yes. Always. Woo. Because it sounds like a natural disaster. But, oh, boy, uh, nature only aided the old-timey rich dudes here. All right, so starting out, background of Johnstown, where I did, I lived for a while. I oh. uh, clearly don't live there now, but I do did uh, for several years. Uh, so, Johnstown is located in Cambria County, Pennsylvania. It's about 70 miles east of Pittsburgh in a valley in the Allegheny Mountains. Uh, it's located at the confluence of the Stony Creek River and the Connemaw River. And in 1889, the population was about 30,000, and it was a booming steel town uh, based around the Cambria Iron Company. Mm. Uh, So even at the time, uh, there was already a lot of flooding in Johnstown. Uh, Part of it was, you know, it's the lowest part of a valley and rivers drain through it. Uh, But also uh, the main industry in the town, uh, the Iron Company and other related companies that popped up, uh, were developing along the riverbanks and used landfill to build out new space near the water for housing and other construction. Uh, So the rivers were getting narrower. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were also... Dumping detritus into the river because Ooh. it was the nineteenth century, and uh, you know no one had figured out that uh, regulation might be a good idea.
3: Uh, everything so much. smelled. Yeah, everything. Everything oh, smelled. Boy. detritus. Oh, boy. Everything, everything was
0: filthy. Yep. We cannot so, uh, underscore this enough. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How stinky the nineteenth century was. <laughs> a lot of a lot of the information uh, that I'm providing here uh, is. Is referenced in a, a book I recently read by Al Roker about uh, the flood. And oh boy, he references how smelly it must have been. <laughs> Al <laughs> Roker, times.
2: the Al Roker weatherman Al, Al Roker. Roker. Wow. <laughs> Uncle Al.
1: He's uh, a real <laughs>
2: Renaissance man, it sounds like. <laughs> Many talents. Yeah, yeah.
1: So they were dumping a lot of uh, used coal and ash and molten runoff into the river. And uh, surprise, it collected along the banks. Also cutting down a lot of trees to provide wood for the structures, which uh, increased erosion. So already at the time, uh, the rivers, uh, every spring, uh, had nowhere to go but up. And the town just got used to shutting down for water a couple days every year. Oh, my God. Uh, they they would move their rugs and good furniture up the stairs every year. Wow. <laughs> That's no way to
2: live. I'm sorry. No.
1: It, it really isn't. Uh, but fortunately, you know. Going into that, no one was really dying yet, probably. Okay, sure. Uh, Fair enough. <laughs> but enter the South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club, uh, which oh. we're going to go into detail now. So this uh, this part of the story hops over to Pittsburgh for a minute. Uh, so Andrew Carnegie, we've all heard of him, mm-hmm. uh, was a big part of Pittsburgh's industrial boom. Uh, but while Pittsburgh was uh, full of smoke and dirt and th- the pores, <laughs> Carnegie fancied himself a romantic philosopher type who wanted to be out in nature thinking about the meaning of life and art. Mm. So he bought some property out in the country near Johnstown. Uh, but this is not the club yet. So suit, but his fancy rich friends uh, thought this whole hanging out in the woods where the air is breathable thing <laughs> like might have a ring to it. Like That sounds pretty great. Yeah. Uh, but there was something missing uh, that all these rich people wanted out in the hills of Cambria County, and that was a fancy lake with fancy fish in it. Oh, oh. you know what
3: we
0: need?
1: We need a
2: fancy lake I with wanna, fancy fish. Yes, that I can look at while I'm drinking wine. That and sounds great. And breathing air.
1: And breathing <laughs> clean air. My God. What a concept. So in 1879, a group came together and they created the South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club. The membership roles were officially a secret, at least at the time. I think we might know who they all were now, but Mm. a number of the founding members uh, included Pittsburgh's two most famous pre-Warhol Andes, Carnegie and Mellon, (laughs) along with Henry Clay Frick, who was another steel guy, and some other steel magnates and railroad tycoons and coal men, all the Pittsburgh richos. (laughs) The pickle Barons. <laughs> uh so leading leading the group here was a guy named Benjamin Franklin Ruff, R-U-F-F. And uh, oh, you're you're not gonna like this guy. Get ready to boo. <laughs> I will accept all heckles. Right. Okay. Uh so he was a part of this this Pittsburgh Millionaires Club and he decided that uh, you know, a lake would be nice, a lake just for rich people. Uh not that the working class people were ever able to leave the city because they had to work, you know, twelve hour days, six days a week. <laughs> I'm not sure about those exact numbers, but it was it was a not lot. good if you were a worker. Uh, so this guy was a, a tunnel contractor who also made a lot of money selling coke, not that kind, uh, the coal <laughs> product, uh, th- and through real estate deals. Uh, and he found the perfect place for this mountain retreat. About 35 years earlier, uh, an earthen dam had been built along the South Fork of the Connemaw River. Uh, Its purpose originally was to create a reservoir as part of a canal system that connected Philadelphia and Pittsburgh. Mm. Unfortunately, a year after the uh, canal system was completed, a railroad line began operation on a similar route, uh, and the canal system was just immediately obsolete. Oh, right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Oh, you mean it'll take me 48 days to get from (laughs) Pittsburgh to Philadelphia, and I can just take a train in like, you know, 10 hours
2: I can be there? (laughs) Oh, okay. Thank you. No, I love... I can imagine that the canal people were like, "Come on, <laughs> you can't leave us this one thing, one mode of transportation."
1: Not at all. Uh, so then, after after became obsolete, the dam was not really maintained over the over the decades. Uh, it at one point had partially collapsed, uh, but Ruff bought this dam and he's like, yeah, "I'm going to make this the the greatest lake that these Pittsburgh people have ever seen." Uh, <laughs> And he had overseen tunnels being made, so he was pretty sure he could engineer a dam repair, uh, even though dams are kind of the opposite of tunnels. (laughs) That's true. He's just like, I'm just going to do what I do, but in In reverse.
2: reverse. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously.
1: Uh, So the partial collapse that had happened earlier uh, involved some discharge pipes that were used to manually lower the water levels in a controlled manner. Mm. Very important, according to everyone but this guy, uh, because his first move was packing in the openings uh, rather than replacing or repairing them. Oh, no. Yes. Mm. So by 1881, uh, the dam was completely rebuilt. Uh, still missing the discharge pipes. Uh, they did include a spillway at the top, but, uh, it would only release water when the lake's level had reached a certain very high point, And it would only do so at one speed, which was slow, and <laughs> <laughs> mm. <laughs> even slower than it needed to be. Uh, because part of the appeal of this lake was all these prized black bass that were shipped in it, into the lake and he didn't want them getting out of the spillway. No. So he put all of these fish guards in front of the spillway, uh, so the water could barely get through either. Oh, no. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <sighs> it's like real shady super, you know? Yeah like, yeah, yeah. like, oh, your wires are sticking out of the ceiling. Just We'll just put we'll, tape over it. Yeah, we'll
2: cover it's it up. Fine. Don't worry. I'll paint over it. It's
1: okay. <laughs> Leave it
0: for the next guy. It's
2: yeah, fine. exactly. Uh,
1: the, and the the way the dam was constructed, uh, if water ever topped the dam over the spillway and over all that, uh, it would begin to wash away and quickly be wiped out. It's just the, the way this dam worked. Uh, so then, in the summer of 1881, the club opened. It, was a, it had a brand new lake with 20 million tons of water. Oh my it was god! Two miles long, and 60 feet deep. Oh my god!
2: What do you need oh, a 60 lake. foot deep lake for? Fish don't
0: need that deep. <laughs> they did.
2: Oh, they did. Okay.
0: Sometimes you want to. Sometimes you want to dive off your yacht. Oh sure, into yeah. The into the
2: lake, and you certainly don't want to hit bottom. <laughs> right. Mm. Okay, I got you. <laughs>
1: uh. So, so this is about uh, 14 miles upstream from Johnstown. Okay. Uh, but down to Johnstown, you got that Cambria Iron Company, uh, which was at the time run by Daniel J. Morrell. Uh And he was uh, similarly, you know, a, a, a rich company owner, but he was pretty much the opposite of Carnegie. He wasn't into all this high-minded nature stuff. Uh, Carnegie liked to manage from a distance, buying up money-making enterprises. Uh, but Morell wanted to be right in the thick of it knowing how everything worked and didn't see the point in never taking time away from work
2: It's a real mm. micromanager. Yeah. Mm,
1: a terrible absolutely. boss. Yeah. Uh, also had kind of a God complex because, you know, <laughs> he didn't allow his workers to unionize uh, even when unions were kind of becoming the norm outside of town uh, and they didn't, didn't pay their people very much, but in theory he cared about them and, <laughs> you know, didn't want them to be wiped out along with all of his company. So, he was against the dam being built. He knew there was problems with it. He was going to do something about it. So he might not have been the greatest guy, but he, he did. Uh, he did try to to stop uh, everything from from ultimately going down. And it will go down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so he sent his top mining engineer named John Fulton uh, up to the site to observe the dam, uh, and that's that's when he learned uh, that they had no way of lowering the dam. That they had just totally. Uh, not repaired the the discharged pipes and just filled it all in, uh, which was ridiculous and a bad idea. Uh, so Fulton inspected uh, the dam, wrote a detailed report, which then got sent to Ruff, who then immediately was like, I know what I'm doing. I'm from Pittsburgh. Sorry. Sorry hey, Julia. He threw it in the fire. <laughs> oh, you're <also> from Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> so they went back and forth a couple times, and Ruff ultimately uh, didn't do anything about it. Uh, so Morell decided uh, to to take things into his own hands, and he bought a membership to the club.
2: Ooh. Okay. so he, working from the inside, so he could keep
1: an eye on everything, and presumably just like always, be there, like staring at Ruff uncomfortably uncom- from the corner, <laughs>
0: <laughs> like just blowing smoke directly, <laughs> yeah, in yes, in his direction. Mm-hmm. I see. Very intimidating.
1: There was a flash flood the very first summer the club opened uh, that took the water up to two feet below the top of the dam. Uh, and everyone uh, kind of started freaking out at that time. But it ultimately never topped the dam uh, that summer, uh, which unfortunately kind of led the people in town to be like, oh, I guess it's not a big deal. And they would start making jokes like every time it rained like, oh, no, I hope that dam doesn't collapse. Oh, no, <laughs> <laughs> Obviously it won't.
2: <laughs> That's what they said about the Titanic. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: uh, it'll never sink. Uh, so uh, things kind of chugged along for a few years. And unfortunately, Morell uh, ended up dying in 1885. And Ruff died two years later in 1887. Uh, so none of them would ever know what happened in 1889. Speaking of which, mm-hmm. the year is now 1889. <laughs> <laughs> there uh, there was already a lot of water running through the valley that year. Uh, the mountains had gotten up to two feet of snow in April, and it all had to go somewhere when it melted. Uh, and they were already on track for record rainfall for the entire century. Wow. Uh, then in, oh my God. in late May, uh, there were a couple different storms, uh, all deciding to make their way over to Johnstown. Uh, so there was uh, severe flooding even before... Uh, Like water started to increase the dam, Uh, but it was kind of the norm. It was a little worse than usual, but, you know, school got canceled. Some of the mills shut down. They got busy moving those carpets and furniture (laughs) (laughs) upstairs. Grandfather clocks, I don't know. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Up at the South Fork Club, uh, a former railroad man named Elias Unger was now in charge of the club uh, and therefore the dam. It was too early uh, in the year for many of the club's members to be there, uh, but Unger was there. He had just returned from visiting some friends out of town. Uh, so now here we are at 8 a.m. on May 31st, 1889. uh yeah it's not it's not pretty from here on out it's it's uh, never
0: good when someone's giving you like a history account and they say what time it is yeah
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's when you know that something is it's
3: about like to happen so at 9 34 in the morning
2: on may 31st <laughs> these two people got married and they lived happily ever after that never happens
1: you just you just ruined the whole thing that's exactly what happened <laughs> All right, so it's the morning. The water's only about four feet from the top of the dam, uh, and it was by no means about to stop raining. Uh, at that point, it had gotten to the spillway, and the spillway was already overwhelmed. Yeah. Uh, and Unker was concerned, but at this point, he was mostly concerned about the fish getting out.
0: Yeah. Oh, jeez. <laughs> he probably just dropped a couple mil on those fish. On those mass. Mass. <laughs> I'm like,
1: no, <laughs> keep them in. They did Unfortunately, I didn't see. I think I saw that they were brought down from Lake Erie, and it was like a dollar a piece for the fish, which in 1889 was crazy. I can't remember oh, how right. many fish there were. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So the the spillway is partially overwhelmed uh, because of debris clinging to the fish guard. Mm. Uh, so even less water than normal could get through. Uh, and at first, he did not want to cut another spillway because, you know, the fish. Yeah. And he didn't want to try to clear out the fish guard because... The, the fish, fish yeah. that he p- spent so much money on. Uh, he did ultimately get a young engineer named John Park, who was uh, in charge of installing plumbing at the club uh, in preparation of the summer season, uh, along with the labor crew, to try to cut away some of the dam to create an extra spillway. So he did eventually, but it, it was a little too late. Mm. He's like, You know how to use a plunger, <laughs> get in there. <laughs> I, I think I think this engineer guy was competent. it just it was it was too late. yeah, yeah right mm. uh, so finally he realized the plan wasn't going to work uh, and it was probably too late for that dam uh, and the people needed to be warned. Uh-oh. unfortunately, uh, while the there was a direct phone line fr- uh, to this town of South Fork, which was the town nearest to the South Fork Fishing and Hunting Club, uh, it was still shut off for the winter because 1889. No one
0: needs
2: to call anybody, I don't need in, the to winter winter, anybody in the winter, especially yeah. at the end
1: of May. What? <laughs> yes, you don't want to be paying your phone bills all winter. Come on. <laughs> what? <laughs> uh, so, so Unger had John Park, the engineer, ride to town by horse as fast as he could to try to get telegraph messages out. Uh, and he did. However, the people didn't really believe him. <gasps> what? <laughs> yeah, he was able to convince a telegraph operator in South Fork, however, uh, named Emmett Ehrenfeld uh, to message uh, an operator down the line in Mineral Point. And they, those two uh, telegraph operators kind of talked back and forth and are like, eh, I don't know if we should believe this, but yeah, let's try to get word on out there. Uh, so they did. Uh, unfortunately, the telegraph lines were down beyond uh, Mineral Point. Uh, so the operator at Mineral Point uh, wrote down the message on two pieces of paper and sent two different couriers uh, down the line to start warning people. Uh, I don't understand.
2: Okay. So, one, I don't understand why people don't believe
1: that. Like, they know <laughs> there's a
2: dam and, like, a, <laughs> it's a waterway. And way, then it's raining. And that it's raining.
1: It had held up for eight years,
2: so I clearly. Guess, but still, like... Forever. Some guy's like, guys, there's going to be a flood. Like, get out of here. Water
0: <laughs> the water is coming. The water is coming. Yeah,
2: Literally. <laughs> uh, I don't understand that. But, I mean, you know, it's lost to history. (laughs) Why? (laughs)
1: All right. So one of these two couriers did uh, find another working telegraph tower down the line. Uh, So the message was once again transposed into the telegraph wire. So it started out on horseback and then went to a telegraph tower, to another telegraph tower, to paper, to another horseback, to another telegraph tower. Uh, Ultimately, with the... uh, the word arriving in 1 p.m. Uh, with the message, South Fork Dam is liable to break. Notify the people of Johnstown to prepare for the worst. Signed, operator.
0: At least it was and, like a real message. I was expecting like since it had gone through so, so many, many iterations of telephone, <laughs> it would have really been more like the damn
1: rain is here like something like that like just
0: all the words oh man be sure to
1: hydrate yeah <laughs> signed like, operator alright I guess thanks <laughs> Um, and again uh, the message wasn't trusted because they didn't know who this operator was and there oh, was no. always warnings about the dam but it was always okay and people already knew it was flooding the the, the furniture was already upstairs at this point what <laughs> more could you possibly want them to do exactly uh, so they got the warn- this warning at 1 p.m. Around 3 p.m., with a deafening roar, the water topped the dam. And Unger and the construction crews just stand there watching it. Oh, my God.
3: Oh. Mm-hmm.
1: As, basically, as soon as the water tops the dam, over the course of the next half hour, the dam is no longer. All the water is out. It's going very fast.
2: <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah.
1: And unfortunately, it's not just water. There was so much water there rushing through that it soon contained vegetation and fencing and rocks and animals and entire trees Trees. and eventually buildings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the flood makes its way down to the first town down the line, which is the town of South Fork, uh, where it did relatively little damage uh, because it was at that point... It had been kind of gradual as it had had left the uh, thing, like still very fast, uh, mm-hmm. but not compared to uh, where it went next, because right after that it hit a massive stone viaduct that was across the uh, the Connemaw River, and the debris that had amassed at the front of the floodwaters began to pile up at the openings of the viaduct, which oh, no. essentially for a moment created a second dam, so it was stopping the water, but the water was clearly too much for the viaduct, and after a, a few minutes. The viaduct also broke, but it was essentially functioning as a second dam break, causing the water to flow with new force and now with massive chunks of stone included. Oh, my (laughs)
3: God. Mm-hmm. I mean, I laugh
2: because it's so oh. absurd,
1: but this is uh, this is terrible. <laughs> this is terrible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's getting worse. Mm-hmm. So people see the people that saw the flood coming uh, past this point describe the front of the wave as either yellow or black and appearing solid with trees, rocks, buildings, timbers, and freight cars all at the front. Oh my god! Yeah, it's picking up <laughs> trains now too.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> that
2: that's like that's like the the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Like, how did you
1: not? Like, uh, like what is that? Like at this point I feel like I should like calm it down by saying, like, some people are gonna live through this. Oh, yeah. Okay.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, there had to be eyewitnesses to write all this down. So yep.
1: <laughs> Oh my God. So next up uh, came the small town of Mineral Point, uh, then East Kanama, and then Woodvale, uh, all of which it did it did very bad damage to uh but these were much smaller towns. Uh, which doesn't make them any less important. Sure. Uh, but the water is building at this point, and unfortunately, oh gosh, this this part after everything else, this makes me shudder the most. In Woodvale, it swept up a barbed wire factory, bringing no. miles of barbed wire <laughs> along with the flood. No. This sounds like a Dwayne the Rock Johnson movie yeah, where he swoops right. in and saves everyone. It's not. This happened in 1889.
0: A barbed wire factory? First the machine gun factory, then the barbed wire
1: factory, then
0: the match factory. Oh my then God. Then the piranha factory.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. The piranha. Yeah. Factory.
1: The piranha <laughs> factory. <laughs>
2: You're like, oh my God. I can't believe that. Uh, That's awful. That's awful. Just,
3: oh,
0: man. <laughs> I didn't even know
2: they not made barbed wire.
3: Not like a cotton water.
0: factory.
2: <laughs> no. Or like a mattress, mattress factory. factory. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is the Rust Belt. Metal products only.
2: <laughs> you're right. You're right. Oh, my gosh.
1: It's it's a good thing this was 130 years ago because we're laughing a lot. I know. This. I know. We really are. It's
2: it's certainly not a too soon situation, thankfully.
1: Yeah. Um, And then uh, right after Woodvale and the barbed wire factory, uh, it hits Johnstown, which is at the bottom of the valley. It had taken the water about an hour to travel the 14 miles from the former dam site to Johnstown. It included 3.8 billion gallons of water oh my God. with a wave measuring 35 to 40 feet high oh at, my God. It points. And it hit Johnstown at 40 miles an hour. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Nearly everything in the center of town was knocked over in about five minutes. And then, of course, because it was at the bottom of the valley, when it hit the other side of Johnstown, like, a lot of the wave just kind of went back in the other direction. So oh water gosh. water stuck around there. Uh, so some people heard the rumbling of the wave coming and were able to scramble up into the hills, which is is great. Uh, other people huddled in attics of still-standing buildings or climbed onto roofs that had suddenly become rafts. And then there was the fire. That
0: No! <laughs>
2: There's
1: too much water for a fire, Katie. <laughs> well, unfortunately, oil goes to the top of the surface. Oh, no. And there was a lot of molten steel and iron in the factories. Are you serious? And uh, fires broke out wherever wreckage was piled above the waterline.
0: Oh, my God. So gosh. it's like all the houses and like shops and stuff were made of wood. So they just mm-hmm. got like... Whoosh! Immediately, yeah, like destroyed. demolished, and so like yeah. any of the stone and and brick things that were still standing, you were like, oh, "Okay, great, yeah. we'll just hang out up here for a little bit." Oh my! God. And then the water caught on fire. It's <laughs> oh mm-hmm. terrible.
1: So uh, people gathered where they where they could uh, while the flooding and firing was still continuing, uh, and immediately started even before the fl- water was out. So we're starting rescue efforts. Uh, any buildings that were still standing, people were. Like holding poles out of windows and pulling people up into the building, or throwing children into the air into windows, which oh, actually worked, I guess, at least in one case that I read about.
0: And then they were recruited for the first professional football team. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love how you threw that baby, son. You got a career, you got you. a career ahead of you. Got a career ahead of you.
1: You could throw a baby. You could throw a ball. <laughs> Exactly. It was the first slogan actually. it was the first slogan yeah. <laughs> for the NFL yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right uh, and and so on and so forth through the night. However, by dawn the next day most of the water had moved on. Uh, I think there were probably still some fires burning, but people had at least gotten away from them. But unfortunately, uh, when they woke up the next day it probably kind of looked worse uh, as they realized how much they'd lost. Uh, in total, the flood killed 2,209 people, oh including God. 99 entire families. Oh, my it- God. Mm-hmm. It caused $17 million in damage, uh, which would be about $474 million in 2018 dollars. 1,600 homes were destroyed, and about four square miles of downtown Johnstown were completely wiped out. This is when rescue efforts kick in, so people start being nice to each other because disaster, so that's nice. Uh, People who had been in the valley uh, got up into the hills uh, where people who had uh, lived outside the path were offering shelter, and word was sent out uh, of what happened. A boy was sent on horseback to find a working telegraph and send word uh, to Governor Beaver, uh, who is the namesake of Penn State's Beaver Stadium.
2: Oh, I thought it was about the animal, but no, I guess nope. it was a man named Beaver.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, sure, sure. James Beaver. I think James Beaver. I didn't write down his first name. I apologize <laughs> James, if I that's I think that's incorrect. a good guess.
2: I think James is a good guess. They were all James
1: back then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, So Beaver sent in uh, Pennsylvania's adjutant general, Daniel Hastings, who ultimately led the relief effort, taking over from some of the locals who had uh, led the way in the immediate aftermath. Relief committees from out of town also began to pile in, uh, none of whom were more organized and up to the task than Clara Barton and the American Red Cross. (gasps) Yay! (laughs) Uh, This was actually the first major peacetime disaster relief effort of the organization. Uh, And at first she came in and was like, all right, I'm here to save everyone. And this Hastings guy is like, "Uh uh-huh, you're like a 60-year-old lady. What do you know? Uh, And then she proved him wrong by setting up all kinds of shelters and Mm -hmm. uh, distributing food and clothing. And it was great. Uh, She ended up staying in Johnstown for five months, which was longer longer than she'd stayed at any previous disaster site. Uh, and in many ways, uh, people say that the Red Cross surpassed the relief efforts uh, of the committees from Pittsburgh and even the state. They organized medical care, distribution of food, clothes and shelter. Uh, and over the course of the five months, the Red Cross turned into the nationally recognized institution that it is now. Hmm. Uh, meanwhile, you know, don't forget about all these rich guys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, never. We're going to keep never. being mad at them after this. Uh-huh. So okay. Carnegie was in Paris at the time of the Sure of the time of the flood uh, at the Universal Exposition, of course. Uh, he did seem to feel legitimately bad about it, even though he would never actually re- officially uh, express any regret about the dam's failure because he immediately sent $10,000 for relief, which is, is pretty good. All right, uh, sure. And he'd later provide full funding for the rebuilding of Johnstown's Carnegie Library, which you know, he built the first one. So I think he kind of had to build build the second one. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, that library still exists now, uh, but it's now the Johnstown Flood Museum. Oh. Oh, okay. Julie Great. and I have both been to. <laughs> Very few, if any, known members uh, came to Johnstown in the days and weeks after the flood. Uh, some did give money, uh, but only 35 of the 60 members did. And one of those only gave $15. No. <gasps> These are no. millionaires. They're Ugh. 1889 millionaires. That's And this it, guy only gave $15, which is worse than nothing, IMO. Exactly. Yeah.
0: That is worse than giving. At least you can be like, my check got lost in the mail. So sorry,
1: (laughs) so
2: sorry. I definitely wrote you a check. It's like, uh,
3: give him fifteen,
2: whatever. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) Uh,
1: None of them would ultimately admit any wrongdoing on the part of the club, which you know, for legal reasons, I get why they wouldn't say that, but uh, Uh, still, boom. Yeah, come on, guys. Uh, after every after everything settled down word got out about exactly who was to blame Good. it's the rich guys mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, the people of johnstown immediately knew who was to blame uh, the cottages at the club were very soon vandalized uh, even though pe- people weren't really coming back to the club anymore yeah yeah uh, gradually became a ghost resort with the club finally dissolving in 1904 uh reporters were soon able to talk to the locals uh and the story of the negligence of the millionaire Pittsburgh club members became known papers uh also sent out engineers to inspect the site who all came to the same conclusion uh, that you know they needed to have those discharge pipes in there yeah. <laughs> and on June 6th a Cambria County coroner's jury formed conducted interviews heard testimony in court uh and all agreed saying the owners of the dam are responsible for the fearful loss of life and property Unfortunately, uh, the coroner's jury uh, isn't something that can get money uh, for the people of Johnstown. Uh, So any court cases that came up that tried to sue the club for damages were ultimately futile. The club itself was not worth that much. uh, And the dam belonged to the club, not the people. So some cases weren't even attempted. Uh, however, the fact that nobody was ever held legally responsible led to some major changes in liability law in the United States. Uh, so that's <laughs> something. Yeah. Yeah. People saw this and were like, hmm, that doesn't seem quite right. Maybe we need some laws about this. Yeah. Uh, these changes, uh, especially involved damages, occurred due to unnatural or man-made, man-changed structures such as mine shafts, oil rigs, and railroads. Mm which were definitely causing a lot of deaths and injuries at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. So
0: we can't use Steve's cabin and just turn that into its own lake. Yeah. And that's two, that's two miles long and yeah. 60 feet deep and and just build our own dam out of dirt. Yeah. Uh, That we don't know anything about. Like (laughs) what's a dam? I don't know. This is like us building a dam. (laughs)
2: Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Like this looks fine. I don't see any problems. It's fine. Uh,
1: Oh, my gosh. Uh, So after the flood, people outside of Johnstown got really obsessed with the flood because limited options for entertainment, I guess. (laughs) This is all going to sound really weird. I'm going to guess that at the time this was kind of the norm for any disasters because of the way culture was. Mm -hmm. But there was... A brief unwelcomed wave of disaster tourists. Yeah. Uh, oh. who came in trying to take souvenirs from the flood, which oh is God. real creepy. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: It's I was uh, reading a really great book, uh, totally off topic now, but I was reading a really great book about um, poisons and all of these like kings and queens of Europe that they think might have been poison and like doing testing on the bodies like afterward and whatever. And there were so many instances in which they were like, oh, yeah, we you know wanted to test this person. But during the French Revolution, um, everybody dug up all of the graves and dug up all of the crypts mm-hmm. and all the churches and threw the bodies in a pile outside of all these places and then took chunks of the bodies home with them and stuff and it's oh, like goodness. can you imagine like 200 years later you're just like opening up a box that like has been in your family forever and it's like half of a skull and a yeah. piece of somebody's skin like oh, what the God. heck well
2: um you know i keep saying this but i think it's really true they didn't have tv and <laughs> when not. when you're hard up for entertainment sometimes you're snagging some gross shit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. A piece of the barbed wire yeah, from the sun. Sun. Yeah, yeah. flood. Yeah. Oh my god. With gosh. like some flesh on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. That's
1: extra. No, that's that was worth too far. extra. That's worth extra. Yeah,
2: that's worth extra. Uh,
1: and within months of the event, uh, books, popular songs and poems about the flood were already coming out. <gasps> oh my god. Ooh, I
0: don't know any I don't know any songs about the flood. Oh well. I'm pretty
1: sure we can find recordings, so <laughs> we should definitely try to do that. For Interstitial music. Yeah, don't mm-hmm. worry.
2: We're we're on it.
1: Uh, and not just factual accounts, but also romance novels set within the flood.
2: <gasps> mm. Well, I mean, we did it with Pearl Harbor and the Titanic. We made that's two a very good point money-making movies on those things. So,
1: but not within months of them happening. That's true. Oh, that's that's true. <laughs> and there was one book uh, which just this title was so great and so nineteenth century that I have to share the full title: The Johnstown Horror. Three exclamation points or. Valley of Death being a complete and thrilling account of the awful flood and their appalling ruin. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I like the excerpt. I I just read the the whole book. That was the entire book. (laughs) Uh, There were also Johnstown flood reenactments such as a long-running exhibit at Coney Island that featured a cyclorama with scenes acted out in front of giant panoramic paintings.
2: Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> These poor people. <laughs>
1: They're like, why? My,
2: my whole family was wiped out. Why would you do this? It's terrible. Oh, my God.
1: We're disgusting
2: as a whole, as a society. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. uh, so I have just a couple other kind of random tidbits that didn't fit anywhere else in here. So... Please. Uh, A couple years after the flood, uh, they built the Johnstown Inclined Plain, which is a railroad track going up the side of the hill, also known as a funicular, which is Mm -hmm. a great word. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we just called it an incline in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. You've been on it. Yeah, I've been on it. Uh, So this would function as a quick escape route for future floods, as well as a method of commuting to the factories uh, in the valley, because after the flood, a lot of people wanted to move to the top of the hill big surprise yeah. uh, it still runs today though mostly as a tourist attraction uh, at the top of the incline which is also accessible by road uh, there's an overlook uh, a gift shop and a restaurant and if you ever see any big panoramic pictures of modern Johnstown it's probably from that overlook in my old apartments right in the middle ah oh, <laughs> <great>. that's nice <laughs> yeah I live there Uh, The incline plane is advertised as the world's steepest vehicular incline and has also been declared by local tourism organizations as the world's slowest roller coaster. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cracks me up every time I see it. (laughs) Uh, In the early 2000s, also, uh, Johnstown Tourism started advertising with, the flood's over, you can come back now, which I also find (laughs) hilarious because it doesn't say anything positive aside from it's not wet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's 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 dry, guys. Come back. It's fine. (laughs) There's also the story of Morley's dog. Uh, This is a statue uh, that stands in Johnstown. The one that's actually out in the park at Johnstown now is a replica. The original one is at the Johnstown Heritage Discovery Center, which is another museum in town. Uh, This was a statue that survived the flood. Uh, It was just like a mail-order iron statue, uh, but it kind of became like a a known monument in Johnstown of this this statue that survived the flood. Uh, However, uh, there was a throwaway line in the movie Slapshot, which was filmed in Johnstown, uh, where Paul Newman's character uh, points at the dog and said, oh, that's the statue of a dog that saved some people in the big flood that was here. (laughs) Uh, So people kind of get it confused. However, there was a hero dog in Johnstown. Uh, It just doesn't have anything to do with that statue. I recently found a picture of this hero dog of Johnstown in Newfoundland that saved his family from the flood. This isn't going to be an amazing part to anyone that doesn't know me, so I apologize. But the dog's name is Romy, and by complete coincidence, my dog is also named Romy, and it's great.
0: (laughs) They're connected.
2: He's got the spirit of your hero dog.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, my dog's named after Romeo Michelle's high school reunion. <laughs> <laughs> same
2: difference, same difference.
1: Um, so the uh, there's a mansion in Pittsburgh called the Frick House, which mm-hmm. is the, uh, the, the mansion that Henry Clay Frick lived in. Uh, and here's just a fun fact. If you go to that house and tell them that you live in Johnstown, uh, they immediately start being like, oh, well, you know, Carnegie had a lot more to do with that club than our <laughs> than Frick did.
3: Wow. Uh, but Frick was
1: actually the founding member and Carnegie wasn't. So he joined later.
2: Man, there's, people are so proprietary over long dead Richies. Mm-hmm. Like, I think
1: uh, it might have been like a great niece or something. So it might have oh, kind of okay. been a shameful family secret still.
2: I mean, you know, uh, it's not your fault.
1: <laughs> and then there were two more major floods in Johnstown in 1936 and 1977. Uh, not as major. Uh, In 1936, uh, there was a flood with 77 buildings destroyed and 25 deaths. Uh, Side note of that is that after that flood, the state passed a 10% tax on alcohol, which had recently uh, become legal again, uh, to assist in the recovery. That tax is still in place. It's still called the flood tax. It's why alcohol is so expensive in Pennsylvania. (laughs)
3: Uh, oh my but god! But the money,
1: the money now goes to relieving economic catastrophes or helping with city financing, not just in Johnstown, but yeah. they still call it the flood tax. So wow. people mm-hmm. are still ticked at Johnstown for <laughs> making their Thanks a lot, making their booze pricey, ten percent. Jeez! And then uh, the major flood in 1977 had 85 deaths and caused 300 million in damages. So that was oh that's a pretty bad one too. Yeah, yeah. Why would you? I mean. I get I get the flood's gone
2: come back now but you had two more in the 20th century yeah I don't trust you <laughs>
1: yeah I don't know like I don't know how the the flood prevention works but there's you know there's like concrete stuff on the sides of the river now that I think are supposed to prevent it from ever being super flooded
3: again-hmm
1: I'm not a civil engineer I don't know <laughs> the logic of how that's gonna work but people seem pretty confident that uh major floods aren't gonna happen again
2: yeah but They've been confident before. Yes, wow. they were confident before. Tell us again. We know how many, more
1: now.
0: Tell us again how many people died in the in the OG flood.
1: Two thousand two hundred nine out of thirty thousand. Oh my gosh, that's insane. That's insane. That's terrible,
2: right? right. Yeah, it's very yeah. Bad. And
1: and they did
0: have some like photos of what yes. what the town. Look like, like. How, yeah, what it was. Mm-hmm. I'm just picturing the, like the matchsticks of oh, of
1: yeah, houses. Yeah, there's and- there a really iconic picture that's just like a tree stuck through a house on its side, oh. both the tree and the house on its side. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, stereo view photography was uh, super, uh, super popular in the day. It was kind of the 3D photographs where there's two next to each other and you put mm-hmm. on the special <laughs> goggles. And I actually collect those, so I have some from Johnstown, but oh, cool. Uh, because those were so popular a lot of photographers immediately went into town to you know help out the would be disaster tourists that didn't actually want to go into Johnstown for for the better you know yeah 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 less people <laughs> it was the more helpful to look at pictures later than to jam up the the roads with people that just wanted to steal a piece of wood <laughs> it's just such an insane story yeah
2: that's and crazy it's funny to be
0: that like i mean new york you're you're super close and Yeah, never heard of it.
2: I heard like Johnstown Flood. Like I've heard that. Yeah, but I've never known the details at all, like even a little bit. So thank
1: you, Katie. Yeah, now you do. That's what I got on the (laughs) Johnstown Flood. That's amazing. Thank you so much. You're
0: welcome. Um, Yeah, that was incredible. So to like kind of lighten the mood, we're sure. Yeah, and I are each gonna do another talk about another flood yeah yeah um so
1: i'll go ahead please, i'll go first please.
0: so i'm going to talk about the london beer flood of 1814
1: sounds tasty <laughs> yeah
0: so october 17th 1814 we are in the what Par- time <laughs> yeah you know what i there is a time later in here <laughs> We're in the parish of St. Giles, London, England. So let's zoom in on the Henry Mew & Co. Brewery, which is also called the Horseshoe Brewery on Tottenham Court Road. So this brewery had some really massive barrels of porter in its storeroom, along with some of the largest vats that you've ever seen in your life. Um, so having huge porter vats was actually an attraction for London breweries. Oh. Um, and in the book, A History of Beer and Brewing, author Ian S. Hornsey wrote, Quote, it is thought that one of the most spectacular sights, certainly at the major London porter breweries, was the sheer size of the storage vats, much kudos being attached to the brewer in possession of the largest example. So in 1763, vats capable of holding 1,500 barrels, 1,500 barrels in one vat were each installed in two breweries in London, oh and vats only continued to keep getting larger. So this particular brewery, the Horseshoe Brewery, had some vats that were 22 feet high, what and some of the iron hoops around the barrels weighed as much as seven hundred pounds a piece. No, Ooh, boy, that's horrible. So, so it, I mean, it's like my your barrel's bigger than my barrel. <laughs> well, now I need to get a bigger barrel. Yeah. it's that's what that's, that's literally was. it. Yeah, because people would be like, "Well, I'm gonna get beer from them. They have the biggest barrel." <laughs>
1: It's not about taste or quality. No,
2: no, no, no. it's about, it's quantity only.
1: It feels like that would be the less fresh beer, the more they're <laughs> right? making at a time, exactly. the longer it's going to yeah, take yeah. to get through it.
0: Yeah. Things were rough in the 19th century. <laughs> uh, so it's October 17th, 1814 at 5.30 p.m. <laughs> A brewery employee heard a gigantic explosion from inside the storeroom. A huge vat containing over 135,000 imperial gallons or about um, 610,000 liters of beer. That's somewhere around 5,000 barrels of beer or more than 1 million pints of beer. (laughs) (laughs) This vat ruptured, causing other vats in the same building to then also like they got swept up in it and exploded themselves. So it was like a big domino effect. And as a result, more than 323,000 Imperial gallons or more than 1.4 million liters of beer burst out and gushed into the streets. So the force of the explosion sent bricks raining down over the tops of the houses on the street and collapsed a brick wall at the tavern next door, killing teenage employee Eleanor Cooper under the rubble. Within minutes, neighboring George Street and New Street were swamped by the 15-foot-high wall of beer. No. seriously injuring a mother and killing a daughter and young neighbor who were taking tea. Uh, The beer also surged through a room of people who were gathered in a basement for a wake. Oh, no. Killing five of them. (laughs) No, no. So the brewery was among the poor houses and tenements of the St. Giles Rookery where whole families lived in basement rooms. Okay, However, right now, these basement rooms quickly filled with beer. With beer. Because it happened on a Monday afternoon, um, men and boys of working age, so, you know, boys over five, yeah. uh, <laughs> they, were, they were away from the area at their jobs. Um, so the, many of the victims were women and children. At least eight oh people God. were known to have drowned in the flood or died from injuries, but uh, no one inside the brewery was injured because it all went it out went the out. room into the streets and into the basements. So uh, contemporary descriptions suggest that residents actually reacted very calmly and quietly um, listening for people who were trapped in the rubble and in basements. I think there's like a little bit of misinformation out there that like this beer flood happened and people were like, yay, beer, and like running out into the streets with like their family's one pot and like filling it up. No, absolutely not. But it sounded like all of the reports of like what actually happened that day were very like, oh no, something happened. We need to save these people. Mm Mm-hmm. So the fatalities in this case, we had Hannah Barmfield, age four, Sarah Bates, age three, Catherine Butler, age 63, oh Eleanor Cooper. She was about 14 to 16. Um, Mary Mulvey, who was 30, Thomas Mulvey, who was three, and Saville, who was 53. And then Elizabeth Smith, that was 27. Oh. So I the, thought we
1: were lightning things. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> we're just lowering the death tolls. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you know the what? Death That's holes. what it is.
0: So the brewery was eventually taken to court over the accident, but the disaster was ruled to be an act of God by the judge and jury, leaving no one responsible. There were speculations of corruption regarding the court ruling, but no official statement was made. Um, The company found it difficult to cope with the financial implications of the disaster and a significant loss of sales made worse because they had already paid duty on the beer. So they Mm -hmm. already like had paid all their like required taxes and stuff like that on the 1.4 million liters of beer that escaped into the street. But um, they made a successful application to Parliament reclaiming the duty that allowed them to continue their trading. So wow. the brewery was demolished in 1922, and the Dominion Theater later occupied the site. But um, since 2012, a local pub called the Holborn Whippet, they serve a special savory vat of porter brewed especially for the anniversary. And um, this year it's called Eleanor Cooper's Beer Flood Porter.
2: Oh, oh. oh. I mean, the great London beer flood of 1814. <laughs> That's nice. Um, so I, I am doing something similar yeah. to this. We're all
0: clamoring for it.
2: We're all clamoring Everybody for it. Everybody
0: wants to know more.
2: More about the great Boston molasses flood of 1919.
1: Woo. woohoo! Ooh, also, yeah. I, lo- I don't know this. This, I have a feeling this, this is not going to be woo worthy. Oh, <laughs> no. no.
0: <laughs> well, more like a, what the? Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, the disaster occurred at the Purity Distilling Company facility on January 15, 1919. Uh, the temperature had risen above 40 degrees Fahrenheit or 4 degrees Celsius and climbing rapidly from the frigid temperatures of the preceding days. Molasses can be fermented to produce ethanol, the active ingredient in alcoholic beverages, and a key component in munitions, as a matter of fact.
0: Hmm, You Um, don't think about that.
2: Yeah, you don't think about that, but it's true. Um, The stored molasses was awaiting transfer to the Purity Plant, uh, and a molasses tank stood at 529 Commercial Street near Keeney Square, which was 50 feet tall and 90 feet in diameter and contained as much as 2,300,000 U.S. gallons. Um, Or... 8,706,447 liters.
0: That's more than this beer.
2: Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, It collapsed at approximately 12.30 p.m. (laughs) Mm. Time. Yeah, the time, you know. Witnesses reported that they felt the ground shake and heard a roar as it collapsed, a long rumble similar to the passing of an elevated train, and others reported a tremendous crashing, a deep growling, quote, a thunderclap-like bang, and a machine-gun-like sound as the rivets shot out of the <gasps> tank. Just like a cartoon. Just like a cartoon. Bing, So (laughs) molasses density is about 40% more dense than water. So it had a great deal of potential energy. We learned about this potential is the potential for energy and kinetic is that actual like moving Mm -hmm. energy. So the collapse translated this energy into a wave of molasses 25 feet high at its peak moving at 35 miles an hour. I mean, I laugh, but it's molasses. It's terrible. Um, The wave was a sufficient force to drive steel panels of the burst tank against the girders of the adjacent Boston Elevated Railway's Atlantic Avenue structure and tip a streetcar momentarily off the L's tracks. Uh, Stephen Puleo, an author, describes how nearby buildings were swept off their foundations and crushed. Several blocks were flooded to a depth of two to three feet. Uh, Puleo quotes a Boston Post report, quote, molasses waist deep covered the street and swirled and bubbled about the wreckage. Here and there struggled to form. Whether it was animal or human being was impossible to tell. Oh. Only an upheaval, a thrashing about this in the sticky mass, showed where any life was. Horses died like so many flies on sticky flypaper. The more they struggled, the deeper in the mess they were ensnared. Human beings, men and women, suffered likewise. Oh my god. I know, it's terrible. Uh, the Boston Globe reported that the people were quote, Picked up by a rush of air and hurled many feet. Others had debris hurled at them from the rush of sweet smelling air, which is so just an insult to injury. Like oh. what smells good and then we're
0: the wow. <laughs> <laughs> mm, not like... laughing
2: at no absolutely yeah, at the disaster. No,
1: that's, that's like... like a recipe for PTSD every time you walk by a cinnabon. For exactly. The rest of
2: your life. Or like the, those people from the, the beer ah. flood—they didn't drink beer ever again.
1: <laughs> Total teetotalers yes, after that.
2: Completely. Um, A truck was picked up and hurled into Boston Harbor. After the initial wave, the molasses became viscous because it was cold, uh, exacerbated by the cold temperatures, trapping those caught in the wave and making it even more difficult to rescue them. About 150 people were injured and 21 people and several horses were killed. Some were crushed and drowned by the molasses or by the debris that it carried within it. The wounded included people, horses, and dogs, and coughing fits became one of the most common ailments after the initial blast. Hmm. Uh, First to the scene were 116 cadets under the direction of Lieutenant Commander H.J. Copeland from the USS Nantucket, a training ship of the Massachusetts Nautical School that was docked nearby at the Playground Pier. They ran several blocks toward the accident and worked to keep the curious from getting in the way of the rescuers, while others entered into the knee-deep, sticky mess to pull out the survivors. The Boston police, Red Cross, Army, and Navy personnel soon arrived. Some nurses from the Red Cross dived into the molasses, while others tended to the injured, keeping them warm and feeding the exhausted workers.
0: Hell yeah, Red Cross.
2: Yeah. These ladies were like, hold yeah. my nurse's hat. I'm going in. Carploop. <laughs> <laughs>
0: The actual That's the sound, sound, of sound of diving into molasses.
2: Diving into molasses. Um, so many of these people worked through the night, and the injured were so numerous that the doctors and surgeons set up a makeshift hospital in a nearby building. Uh, rescuers found it difficult to make their way through the syrup to help the victims, and four days elapsed before they stopped searching. Many of the dead were so glazed over in molasses that they were hard to recognize. Oh no! I know. Other victims were swept into Boston Harbor and were found three to four months after the disaster. Uh, local residents bought a class action lawsuit against the United States Industrial Alcohol Company, USIA, which had bought Purity Distilling in 1917. Katie's
0: crossing her fingers for this part of the
2: story. Uh, it was one of the first class action suits in Massachusetts and is considered a milestone in paving the way for modern corporate regulation. So there yes. you go. Yay. Uh, the company claimed that the tank had been blown up by anarchists because some of the alcohol produced was to be used in making munitions, but a court-appointed auditor found USIA responsible after three years of hearings, and the company ultimately paid out $628,000 in damages, which is about $9.8 in 2018. Um, relatives of those killed reportedly received about $7,000 per victim, which is equivalent to about $101,000 in 2018.
1: Okay.
0: So it's not nothing. They acknowledged that. They
2: did acknowledge that they were, I mean, at least through their checkbooks. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, cleanup crews used salt water from a fireboat to wash away the molasses and sand to absorb it. And the Harbor was Brown with molasses until summer. The cleanup in the immediate area took weeks with several hundred people contributing to the effort. And it took longer to clean the rest of greater Boston and its suburbs. Rescue workers, cleanup crews, and sightseers had tracked molasses through the streets and spread it to subway platforms, <sighs> to the seats inside trains and streetcars, to pay telephone handsets into homes and to countless other places. Quote, everything a Bostonian touched was sticky.
0: <laughs> molasses. Molasses. The glitter
2: of 1919. <laughs> Just everywhere. Can you imagine? You would get so sick to death. And molasses is not a pleasant smell. I mean, if you like stuck yeah. your nose in molasses, it has like... It is
0: like astringent. Like, it is has an astringent
2: yeah. quality. It's not tasty by any means. No one's eaten like spoonfuls of molasses. So it was gross. One, two, in the hot sun. Ugh. And just everything you owned was sticky. Everything. You walk through the streets and your feet would stick. Yeah, exactly. You can't clean
1: molasses off things. It's not. Yeah, it's it's very (sighs) difficult.
2: Um, So several factors might have contributed to the disaster. Um, The tank was constructed poorly and tested insufficiently, and carbon dioxide production may have raised the internal pressure due to fermentation in the tank. Uh, warmer weather the, the previous day would have assisted in building this pressure as the air temperature rose from 2 to 41 degrees Fahrenheit yeah. over that wow. period. So the failure occurred from a manhole covered near the base of the tank and a fatigue crack there possibly grew to the point of criticality. Um, So the tank had been filled to capacity only eight times since it was built a few years previously, putting the walls under an intermittent cyclical load. Mm, Um, Several authors say that the Purity Distilling Company was trying to outrace prohibition as the 18th Amendment was ratified the next day on January 16th, 1919 and took effect one year later. So, an inquiry after the disaster revealed that Arthur Gell, USIA's treasurer, neglected basic safety tests while overseeing construction of the tank, such as filling it with water to check for leaks, and ignored warning signs such as groaning noises each time the tank was filled. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're filling oh, it with noise.
0: fine. It's and just like, settling. <laughs> like,
2: that's fine. Um, he had no architectural or engineering experience. Um, And then when filled with molasses, the tank leaked so badly that it was painted brown to hide the leaks. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
3: Local
2: residents collected leaked molasses for their homes. Uh, so it was, it was common knowledge that they were yeah. like, yeah, if you want some molasses for Just some cookies, head down get the, over there.
0: The backside of that big old barrel over there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> uh, a 2014 investigation applied modern engineering analysis and found that the steel was half as thick as it should have been for a tank of its size, even with the lax standards of the day. And it also lacked, uh, manganese and was made more brittle as a result. Mm. So the tank's rivets were also apparently flawed and cracks first formed at the rivet holes. So in 2016, a team of scientists and students at Harvard University conducted extensive studies of the disaster, gathering data from many sources, including a 1919 newspaper article, old maps, and weather reports. The student researchers also studied the behavior of cold corn syrup flooding a scale model of the affected neighborhood. The researchers concluded that the reports of the high speed of the flood were credible. Ooh, Um, Two days before the disaster, warmer molasses had been added to the tank, reducing the viscosity of the fluid. And when the tank collapsed, the fluid cooled quickly as it spread until it reached Boston's winter evening temperatures and the viscosity increased dramatically, making it stickier and harder to move through. Uh, The Harvard study concluded that the molasses cooled and thickened quickly as it rushed through the streets, hampering efforts to free victims before they suffocated. Uh, The accident has since become a staple of local culture, not only for the damage the flood brought, but also for the sweet smell that filled the North End for decades after the disaster. According to journalist Edwards Park, the smell of molasses remained for decades a distinctive, unmistakable atmosphere of Boston. Uh, Also on January 15th, 2019, just this past January, for the 100th anniversary of the event, a ceremony was held in remembrance. Ground-penetrating radar was used to locate the exact location of the tank from 1919. Wow! The concrete slab base for the tank remains in place approximately 20 inches below the surface of the baseball diamond at Langone Park. Uh, attendings of the ceremony stood in a circle marking the edge of the tank, and the 21 names of those who died in or a result of the flood were read aloud.
0: So there you go. That's the great wow. molasses flood of 1919. Because I think when you, wow. hear, when you hear people reference the molasses flood, you're like, what? What yeah. kind of person gets... Stuck in molasses. Killed in molasses. That's silly. And then you realize that the massive don't. volume and the speed and the, st- again, like the, the Johnstone flight, the yeah. fact that it like picked stuff up as it went.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not, it didn't like just run through yeah. and just oh, like no. push things out of the way. Yeah. It, I mean, you were being assaulted by trains. Yes. Things in, inside of sticky molasses. And bricks. Which just adds a result to injury, I think. It was terrible. <sighs> well, on that note, <laughs>
1: Katie, I hear you have a quiz for us. I do have a quiz. The name of the quiz is That Damn Damn, a quiz about damnation and dams. Ooh, that's great. Question one. What is the name of the television series based on a character created by Neil Gaiman in which the Lord of Hell moves to Los Angeles and helps solve crimes while also being a total hottie? Question 2. Spanning 1,244 feet across the Colorado River and, at 726 feet, is nearly 200 feet taller than the Washington Monument, what lake is created by Hoover Dam? Question 3. The moons of Pluto include Charon, Nix, Hydra, Kerberos, and, finally, one named after what river? Question 4. What is the name of the type of dam, which may make any 12-year-olds in the audience laugh, that consists of a solid, watertight upstream side that is supported at intervals on the downstream side by a series of supports? Question 5. In the 1939 film Gone with the Wind, what actor speaks the words? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. Question 6. True or false, Beavers have incisor teeth that continue to grow throughout their lifetime so that they won't get worn down from chewing on wood to make their dams. Question 7. Many artists have recorded works under the title Hell or High Water, but what musician, who is better known as an excellent actor, released an album titled Hell or High Water in 2015? Question 8. The Aswan Dam, which opened in 1970, is an embankment dam in what country? Question 9. In Dante's Inferno, a large frozen lake, called Cocytus, represents the ninth and lowest circle of hell, which is reserved for those who have committed what sin? Question 10. What is the name of the U.S. federal agency whose missions include planning, designing, building, and operating locks and dams? They currently own and operate over 600 dams nationwide.
0: We'll give you about a minute to think, and then we'll be back with your answers.
3: It was on the month of May, on a bright midsummer day, birds sang sweetly in the sky above. A lovely city stood serene in a valley deep in green, where thousands dwelt in happiness and love. Ah, but soon the scene was changed, for just like a thing deranged, a storm came rushing through this quiet town. Darkness came and wind shrieked, thunder rolled and lightning streaked, and the rain it poured in awful torrents down. Like the Paul Revere of old came a rider brave and bold, On a big bay horse he's flying like a deer And he's shouting warning shrill Quickly fly up to the hills But the people smiled and showed no sign of fear But ere he turned away the mold rider and his bay And the many thousand souls he tried to save They had no time to spare or to offer up a prayer they were hurled at once into watery grave.
2: Okay. All right. All right. Lay it on us. Lay it us. on us.
1: Question one. What is the name of the television series based on a character created by Neil Gaiman in which the Lord of Hell moves to Los Angeles and helps solve crimes while also being a total hottie? That's Lucifer. Indeed it is. Yes.
2: Uh, the answer is Lucifer. I saw that it's on Netflix now. Yeah. Yeah. And they keep telling me like, hey, Lucifer's on. You like
0: guys. You like men, Solving right? crimes <laughs> that are also the devil.
1: <laughs> so common. I recently started watching it on Netflix and I had never seen it before. And I was very surprised when it turned into a crime procedural. I, that was not what I thought the show was. Isn't it like-, like It's he, fine.
0: He like co-owns a club, but also in yeah. his spare time he helps- helps the police i mean
1: like in theory to punish bad guys but like (laughs) yeah Mm, it's yeah yeah all right question two spanning 1244 feet across the colorado river and at 726 feet is nearly 200 feet taller than the washington monument what lake is created by hoover dam
0: that lake mead it is
1: lake mead oh nice isn't that drying up
2: I don't know. I, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I heard somewhere that Lake Mead is like Ooh. on its way out. Mm-hmm. I could be wrong, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, what do I know about lakes? You did the lake episode.
0: No, I didn't do a lake
1: episode Oh, that's true. Yet. You only did rivers. <laughs> you gotta do a lake episode.
2: <laughs> anyway.
1: Well, speaking of rivers, question three. Uh, the moons of Pluto include Sharon, Nix, Hydra, Kerberos, and finally, one named after what river? My guess would Mm -hmm. be Sticks. My guess would be Sticks as well. We're going to say Sticks. Yeah. It is Sticks. That one was a question about water and (laughs) hell.
2: So they have Nix and Sticks? I mean, no wonder they got rid of that planet, you know? (laughs)
1: Question four. What is the name of the type of dam which may make any 12-year-olds in the audience laugh that consists of a solid, watertight upstream side that is supported at intervals on the downstream side by a series of supports? All right. Ready? Humps. <laughs> Beavers. but Butts.
0: But. But. <laughs> boner dam. Boner dam. Boner
2: dam. <laughs> Let's go with boner. I like boner. <laughs> My vote is for boner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Boner dam? Is it a boner dam? <laughs>
1: it's not. <laughs> no, uh, you're actually you were close at one point. uh It is buttress dam. Buttress. Oh, that makes. Right. They're sense. also right. called hollow dams, but that's not nearly as funny. No, that's not funny.
2: <laughs> I like boner dam better though. <laughs>
1: uh, something about the way you're saying that makes it sound like it's a minor league, like so, or minor league baseball team. Oh yeah, the boner like, dam. Come on down and see the Batavia boner dam. <laughs>
0: They're so good this year. They're so good. <laughs> Their giveaway nights are
2: off the charts. Wonderful. A dollar hot dog? Please.
1: <laughs> all right. uh, question five. In the 1939 film Gone with the Wind, what actor speaks the words? Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn.
2: Um, is that Clark Dable? Clark, Clark- Dable. <laughs> Clark Dable. Clark
0: Gable?
1: Clark Gable. Clark Gable it is Clark Gable okay <laughs> not, Dable. <laughs> not Dable
0: I frequently confuse I frequently think Rhett Butler is a real man <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't want to answer i no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to
2: to your credit I almost said Rhett Butler yeah because it sounds
0: like a good
2: actor name yeah right yeah, yeah. Mm, Clark Dable <laughs> Clark Dable <laughs> great guy <laughs>
1: Question six, true or false? Beavers have incisor teeth that continue to grow throughout their lifetime so that they don't get worn down from chewing on wood to make their dams.
0: I think we're going to guess true. True on that.
1: Yeah. It is true. Uh, It's actually a fact that's true of all rodents, not just beavers. So it's not all rodents chew things. My little pet hamster, we would give
0: him um, toilet paper tubes to chew through so his teeth wouldn't grow too big. What was his name? Grover.
2: Oh, that's a good name Mm -hmm. for a hamster.
1: Question seven: Many artists have recorded works under the title "Hell or High Water," but what musician, who's better known as an excellent actor, released an album titled "Hell or High Water" in two thousand and fifteen?
0: I haven't the slightest idea.
1: I mean, my first
2: excellent actor. Yeah, my first instinct is Meatloaf, but he put out "Bad Out of Hell," and that Uh was in the seventies.
0: Okay, like Jared Leto has a band. Yeah, but he's.
2: Yeah, he does. It's 30 Seconds to Mars. I feel His, like Kurt Russell had a band. Kurt has Russell? Has a band? I mean, probably. Um, is it Chris Christopherson? <laughs> I It's a good, he's a good actor. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: you know what? I'm going to guess Chris Christopherson. All right, we're going to go with Thornton's guess. <laughs> is it Chris Christopherson? I I uh,
1: I, sh- I should have, uh, this would work better in text because excellent is X. Dash. Oh,
0: so Oh, Keanu. Keanu Reeves. Yeah. No. <laughs>
1: like, yeah,
2: X, X, is it, is it, um, uh, no, it's, uh, Vin Diesel.
1: <laughs> oh, can, okay, okay. I can see the, um, <laughs> it's David Duchovny. Oh, oh. sorry. <laughs> Here's the
2: thing. Here's the thing about David Duchovny. He is. I'm watching. I'm rewatching X Files right now. Um, he is not an excellent actor. <laughs> I, at least yeah. not in. At least not in 1996. <laughs> we were watching an episode where he like was having a past life regression therapy thing, and he was like. <laughs> Like crying and his face was all scrunched up and I was like, Wow, look at him go without a tear rolling out of his eyeballs. Like he is his face is so blank all the time. Excellent. Yeah, no, I get yeah, it. Yeah. I was just
1: trying to go with the pun. I wasn't no, actually I, trying to make a statement no, about I,
0: his acting abilities. <laughs> then that. I was thinking Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Yeah. No, That's I get right. it. I oh, saw where you were about that. But Keanu has a band. Keanu does have a band. It's called Something About Dogs. Dog Star? Dog oh, Star. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Yes. It's good. So yeah. David Duchovny has a band, and he released an album called "Hell or High Water."
2: Yeah. He's also a. a I think it was just author. solo.
1: I think it was just a solo thing. I don't know that he has a band. But oh. Okay,
2: well, I don't know if I want to hear David Duchovny sing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> a very low opinion of David Duchovny no. for some reason.
1: Anyway, he's very
2: funny. He's a very funny person.
1: Question eight: The Aswan Dam, which opened in 1970, is an embankment dam in what country? That's Egypt. It is indeed Egypt.
0: Oh, I thought she was going to say, it's
1: not Egypt. Oh, and oh was it is gonna,
0: Egypt. Okay, then I was right. going to question yeah. all of my river knowledge. <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right, question nine. In Dante's Inferno, a large frozen lake called Cocytus represents the ninth and lowest circle of hell, which is reserved for those who have committed what sin?
2: Uh, is it treason? Is it uh, betrayal? The sin of betrayal? The sin of treasonous betrayal
1: I don't know <laughs> what is, it, is it not murder I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you that okay. uh, the, the, the word used is treachery but oh, that's, okay. that's those things yeah, yeah. all right yeah.
0: yeah so treachery is worse it's, than murder in John His. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely
1: yeah okay it absolutely is yeah. it can probably involve murder but yeah yeah
0: yeah so you get to go to
1: both <laughs> it's like a transfer it's situation a road trip all the way through yeah. all the circles <laughs> and question 10 What is the name of the U.S. federal agency whose missions include planning, designing, building, and operating locks and dams? They currently own and operate over 600 dams nationwide.
0: It's like the has Army Engineer in it. The U.S. Corps of Army Engineer, the U.S. Army Corps of Engineer. It's something like that. Okay. How about me?
1: Help me. (laughs) How about the the Army
0: Corps of Engineers? The Army Corps Army Corps of Engineers. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's basically it. It has United States in front of it, but, yeah, you know, yeah, great. that's kind of a given. Yeah, United States Army Corps of Engineers. There you go.
0: Great. Good job, Joel. <sighs> See, so you have to, like, be a real authority to build a dam yeah. now. Yeah, unlike those unlike guys. these up in South Fork.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly. Well, thank you so much, Katie. That was so good. Oh, we totally appreciate it. You taught I'm us so, so much. I'm so excited
1: that you had me here. I'm Thank you. Oh my gosh! (laughs) I interrupted your thing with my thing. Oh no, no, no,
2: no, no! Please, this is a treat. Um, Before we do our little sign off, is there anything that
1: you would like to plug? Oh my gosh, there is. How did you know? Oh. Alright, so I uh, I run a little mail-order trivia thing called The Inkling, uh, but this summer, my big thing, uh, Jonathan Oakes of Trivial Warfare and I are collaborating uh, to create a question-a-day trivia desk calendar for 2020. Uh, it is going to be a Kickstarter to try to make sure uh, we have enough people ordering it that we can have a whole bunch printed. When this airs, if you go to TriviaCalendar.net, you can find the information on it.
2: Uh, Katie is also an excellent graphic designer uh, oh, yes. and uh, so her inkling mailer is great. And we will <laughs> post both of those websites for you guys. Yes.
0: We'll make sure to share the link for the, for the Kickstarter. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Oops.
2: thank you again, Katie. That was wonderful.
1: And thank you. It was so much fun being here. Good. And someday I want to come to Rochester and hang out with you guys because it seems like so much fun. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm Rochester's inviting myself fun. into oh, your Oh please. It's right. Perfect. So
2: <laughs> come. You can sit on the porch and day drink with us. It'll be great. Yes.
1: <laughs> the best kind of the
2: drinking. The best kind of drinking. Day drinking because you stop at eight and then you go to bed at ten and you wake up refreshed. <laughs>
0: Oh, man. So, yeah, we're going to share the links um, for Katie's projects. Um, we'll share them to all the places you can find us, which include our Facebook page, Misinformation and Trivia Podcast. We have a website, www.misinfopod.com. We have a Twitter, at Misinfopod. And you can also contact us on our email, which is misinfopod at gmail.com. Uh, you can also uh, listen to us on our website, Uh
2: You can also find us anywhere you get your podcasts uh also spotify which is great um and uh please rate review and subscribe at any and all of those platforms yeah we Tell appreciate it thank you awesome. uh
0: and thanks for listening you guys and thank you again to katie thanks katie and uh we will catch you all next time yep bye, bye.